0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Amazing, Tim Ryder from the Apple. Friends, it is opening day, we made it. Metsy's baseball kicks off in earnest this evening in, in the nation's capital. Uh, we have an excellent show lined up for you, a little opening day extravaganza. Uh, really, a, a strong little lineup. Uh, hope you don't mind the format, this is uh, very new to me, but I had this mad scientist idea and said, fuck it, I'm going through with it. Opening day, we're going to do a big. So we've got one half of the Mets radio booth at WCBS 880 AM. Mr. Wayne Randazzo joins us. The host of the Chris Rose rotation on John Boy Media, Chris Rose. Uh, He joins us for a little talk about what's going on over at John Boy Media, over at the new show, Uh, his six man rotation of co-hosts, all fun things. We talk about Francisco Lindor a little bit. Guys, we recorded this on Wednesday. I don't know what's going to happen when, by the time you're listening to this, but uh, I guess we hope for good things. And we're also rejoined by our old friend, our great buddy, Jacob Resnick, now of SNY. He comes to talk a little prospects. And, uh, yeah, guys, excitement is through the roof. Uh, let's, uh, let's do this. We're going to jump right in. And uh, let's have a great season, guys. Let's go, Mets. Here we go. Our first guest today for the Mets Radio Voice on WCBS 880 AM. You've also seen him on SNY throughout the spring doing play-by-play for the Metsies. Our friend Wayne Randazzo, thanks for coming back to the show, man. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, So I guess the, uh, yeah, the excitement of opening day is certainly uh, palpable. There's a, a couple of questions still lingering, uh, you know, i.e., the uh, Francisco Lindor extension talks. We're recording this on Tuesday, everybody, so we can only hope that uh, that kind of falls into place. But uh, you know, everyone's kind of feeling the uh, the excitement, are they not?
1: <laughs> well, I think I think that they uh, that they were. I think that you know, I think everybody's uh, you know a little bit uh, tense about the Lindor extension and the Lindor contract negotiation or everything that's going on with that but you know, I still think that once the the first pitch is thrown Thursday night that everybody will be ready for what could be a very good season for the Mets and you know Jacob DeGrom will be back on the mound and everything should be good for a
0: team that seems like it's poised to
1: win a good number of games this year.
0: Oh most definitely I think the the depth that they've kind of assembled uh, throughout the roster. It should really serve them well, especially in a, a full season after a short one. Uh, you know, the fans are certainly energized. Uh, Steve Cohen announcing on, uh <clears throat> excuse me, Monday night, uh, you know, on SNY that uh the Mets will be wearing the, uh, the black jerseys throughout the season. Certainly uh, got a rise out of everyone. I know Howie's not a fan. What are your thoughts on it, Wayne?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that the Mets have a very uh, aesthetically pleasing look. I think (laughs) that the Mets have uh, a great uniform selection. And, um, you know, I I wish they wore the blue on the road a little bit more than they do. But I think that their home whites and their road grays are right up there with some of the best uniforms in in baseball. So, you know, the black is... Uh, it doesn't quite mesh with their colors, it doesn't quite mesh with their even really their history outside of that small window in the late 90s and early 2000s. But that happened to be a very successful period for the Mets and also happens to coincide with some great players and a lot of nostalgia for people that are, you know, roughly our ages. I think you and I are, are similar in age, so um, you know, people that are around in their late 20s and into their late thirties, I think in that 10 year window, you, you have a lot of nostalgia for that group of Mets and those jerseys. So uh, I get it. I don't think it's necessary for the Mets look to have the black jerseys, but I I do think that it is necessary for the fans to remember uh, that era as fondly as they do. And think about, you know, those Mike Piazza years with the, with the kind of reverence that people should have for them.
0: Oh yeah. And I think, you know, just striking the court and yeah, I'm, I'm 37. So, you know, it's certainly, uh, it's right. in right in my wheelhouse and, you know, the nostalgia is always cool and, you know, everything in moderation, I don't want to see him overdo it and kind of lose that luster. Um, you know, we saw, you know, I could be said about many different things, even look at like the subway series, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, well that's been a little played out, but, um, you know, and, uh, Used sparingly, I think it would certainly bring the excitement. Um, you know, those Pedro starts at Shea Stadium on Friday nights and the Blacks were always fun. Not that Friday nights and the Blacks were tied together, but it was a, uh, you know, there's certain electricity through the stadium and hopefully they can recapture that. But you were you hit it on the nose earlier that this team is, is kind of poised for success. There's a, a very strong core in place. Now there's reinforcements. Um Jeff McNeil had a bit of a slow spring. Uh, you know, it, it, if you look at the numbers, it's kind of glaring. He's like five for, I think, 48 in the spring, but um, not really much cause for concern there, right? I mean, he's been so consistent.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, he's hit over 300 each of his first three seasons. I think his career average is like 311 or 313 right now. You know, you don't worry necessarily about someone who's got numbers like that and has, and has been so consistent. You know, he had a little, a couple brief moments last year, uh, especially, I think, kind of in the middle of August last season where, you know, he was struggling to get some base hits and struggling to hit for power. Um, but, I, you know, he, he was able to work out of it pretty quickly. You know, I think the thing for Jeff is, you know, he's been, getting, he's been hit so much this spring, too. I think he was <laughs> hit by eight pitches this spring. I mean, it's kind of silly when you think about it. Um you know, I, I don't know if that's been on his mind at all or anything like that, but, you know, he's, uh, he's certainly someone that uh, I think you can start to say has a good enough track record for being a consistent hitter and that he'll work himself out of it. I mean, just because he had five hits in spring training, he, he could have five hits this weekend in, in Washington. So, <laughs> um, you know, he, he can quickly move things into a, a good direction. Oh, for sure.
0: And I think over the last week of spring training games, you could tell he was hitting the ball harder. He had most of his, I guess the majority of his base hits over that span. And, you know, um, that's what the spring is for, I guess. But uh, one guy who really hasn't had trouble hitting the ball this spring is Pete Alonzo. You know, absolutely locked in at the plate. We've heard him talk about the adjustments he's made as far as uh, pitch recognition and being more disciplined at the dish. Um, what he's done this spring kind of has put his twenty one twenty twenty one 2021 season into a, uh, a more encouraging light now.
1: I think so. I mean, you know, you never, again, see, it could, it could also be the opposite where, you know, he just has a great spring and then once the real stuff happens and he gets into a, a slump immediately and, and who knows, but, you know, I do think that the biggest thing for Pete was disciplining himself at the plate and, and just not swinging at, at junk. Now it's, Going to be a little different in regular season game speed against Max Scherzer on Thursday when Scherzer's whipping those sliders in there. Is Pete still going to have that discipline to lay off? Well, if he does, then things should happen pretty quickly for him to be able to have the kind of start to the season that he didn't have last year. So, you know, I think Pete was certainly um, thinking about what he should be swinging at and what he shouldn't be swinging at a lot more and showing the kind of patience that I think they want him to have. I think it's important for him that Chili Davis is back on the bench. I think it's important for him that he gets to watch in-game video again. Uh, you know, That's coming back to some degree. It won't, won't be quite the same as it was uh, a couple of years ago, but they will have some access to at least their in-game at-bats again. So you know, I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that Pete should have
0: a, a very productive season. Oh, he certainly looks, um, totally focused. And, uh, I know he doesn't want to attribute his, uh, his spring success to the leaving social media, but boy, everybody needs a break sometimes. And it looks like that, uh, it coincided perfectly with, uh, with his production. Just hopefully he does it when it counts, I guess, from the fan's perspective. Uh, you mentioned Jacob deGrom and, you know, he's going to be back on the mound and nobody's worried about what he's going to do. If anything, we're just kind of enamored of what he's going to do next. Uh, Marcus Stroman, until Carlos Carrasco returns, until Noah Syndergaard returns, uh, he's going to be kind of the, the, the focal point moving past DeGrom in the rotation. Um, he's, uh, you know, he looks to have prepared himself well for the season. He had a, a fine spring. Um, the control looks to be there. The confidence never wavers. Uh, what are your thoughts on his, on, I guess, on his trajectory heading into the regular season?
1: I mean, he does become a, a fairly important figure for them as, as a number two starter, you know, that is not exactly where the Mets would have had him penciled in had everybody been healthy. He's a number three or a number four for them in reality. So uh, coming in as the number two, there's there's going to be a lot more expectation for Marcus. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, his, his stuff looks the way that it should. I think he really likes that new split change that he's throwing. You know, he's, he's always been around the, the plate, and you just hope that, he gets the kind of soft contact that he needs. And I think that the Mets would do him a big favor and do themselves a favor by having Luis Giorme play third base on the days that Stroman is starting just to give them a, a little bit more on that left side of the infield and really become more defensive-minded on those days. So we'll see how that plays out. But, you know, I think that Stroman is uh, the kind of guy where you know what you're going to get going into a, a particular start and you hope that he's just consistent, you know, I think you worry about Babip a little bit with him. And and if some of those balls are going to get through or just fall in, you know, he's going to pitch to contact. So you, you think about some of that with him, but you know, there's plenty of guys in, in the league who pitch to contact and, and do it very well. And you just hope that Stroman can uh, have a really good year and, and be a guy that, you know, is able to not necessarily strike a lot of guys out, but still, keep the hits to a, a minimum and, and the runs as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I'm on board a hundred percent with you on the, um, the, 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 I guess more defensively able, uh, lineup on days that Stroman's pitching, um, you know, you'd hate to see Pete Alonzo take a seat every five days, but that, that might be a day that Dom Smith at first base might be a good idea, you know, depending on the lineup you're facing and such, but, um, you know, as far as the the front end of the Mets rotation, I mean, like you said, the consistency is there. You kind of know what you're going to get. Um, going towards the back end, Taiwan Walker has had a, a really nice spring. Closed out the spring with a nice outing on Monday. Uh, David Peterson, uh, you know seemingly out of nowhere i mean he had a very nice run in 2020 um with a lot of competition around him i guess he wasn't a shoe in for the rotation but between him and joey lucchese and the i guess the the wrinkle of an opener being thrown in uh which early returns are are so far so good i guess you could say um you know do you think that the question marks or the vulnerabilities are as glaring as some have made them out to be as far as the back end
1: Um, you know, I think that, you know, they, they're going to be okay. I I think that with the you know, for whatever reason, did not get the opportunities last year with the Padres that he had gotten the previous couple of years. And I think he's kind of got a little chip on his shoulder about it. Um, Peterson, what he gave the Mets last year was really a big lift. I, I, I was not expected for him to do that well as a rookie. And now there's a little bit more expectation for him. Also, you know, some of these guys, especially in Peterson's case, you know, he saw the East last year, but he didn't really even see the rest of the league. So he's still going to be a a rookie in some sense, facing the Central and the West for the first time um, and going through the entire league for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects him. If if it's something that will help him, you know, get those first looks again, or uh, if it's something, you know, that, you know, he won't be able to draw from the experience of facing those hitters. So uh, I guess we'll just see how that works out. But, you know, as far as Lucchesi, I don't know if the opener thing is going to happen every single time he pitches. But I I do think that as a four or five, you know, maybe at most a six inning guy that he should be able to hold his own. You know, it gives that funky look with his delivery. The churve is an interesting pitch. And, um, you know, you're not going to have five aces here, but I do think that the Mets can pitch well enough as long as they get some backing defensively to be able to, to hit their way through. I think that's what the first two months of the season for them ideally will look like is that the pitching will be maybe average, but the hitting should be so good. And, and hopefully the defense is average as well, at least to give them enough
0: offense to win these games early on. Yeah, I guess that's the um, that's the plan. We certainly hope. And uh, I guess last one, the the bullpen has been, you know, a question mark. And you've seen, a, you've even seen some of the inconsistencies this spring. Um, everyone's been raving about Edwin Diaz. He got touched up a little bit on Monday to close out his uh, Grapefruit League run. But um, really nice spring. Miguel Castro had a nice spring. Uh, you know, you look at Familia and, um, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Uh, Dylan Betances, and you know they—I guess you could say—they really can't be leaned on as you would hope they would be able to. Um, do you think the Mets have enough firepower to kind of prop them, prop that group up themselves?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's what they hope that they'll be able to, <laughs> to hit and and have their—they have a very long lineup. We talked about McNeil earlier, but you know McNeil's hitting sixth for them generally. I think what we saw in spring training is going to be how it's going to look for the most part, and you know that's a pretty good number six hitter. Uh, At the bottom, near the bottom of your order, plus Davis and McCann as a as a seven and eight, you know, in the National League, that's that's as deep a lineup as there probably is right there with, you know, the Dodgers and Atlanta. So I think that the Mets, you know, in theory should hit. This team hit a lot last year. Now they've added Lindor, they've added James McCann. So I, I think that offensively they'll be they'll have more than enough. You know, I am worried about the bullpen. I think that what we saw in spring training was the group of relievers that you feel like you know you can count on, guys like Edwin Diaz and Aaron Loop and Trevor May all pitched really well. And the guys that you're maybe more unsure about really didn't. You know, Uh, Gaselman had a rough spring, so did Familia, uh, so did Batances. So uh, I think that there's a lot to still be worked out when it comes to the strength of the bullpen. You hope Miguel Castro can carry over what he did. It's all about throwing strikes. If Castro's going to throw strikes consistently, he's going to look like that all the time. But that's been an issue for him in the past. And Jacob Barnes, you know, seemingly is, is a lot better than he's been the last couple of years. But uh, another guy that we'll just have to wait and see how it carries over to the real game.
0: Yeah, the, the sustainability. I mean, you know, that's kind of the nature of the bullpen and uh, sustaining that consistency is, you know, more than half the battle for that group. But, Wayne, that's all I have. I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat. Um, have an excellent season uh, up in the booth with Howie. You guys have a ton of fun up there. Everyone, you know where to find uh, the Mets radio broadcast. It's on WCBS 880 AM. You could find them on MLB at Bat App. Uh, Wayne, would you mind dropping your Twitter handle for the listeners?
1: Yep. Just, just my name. Keep it. It's uh, real simple at
0: Wayne Randazzo. (laughs) Excellent. All right, man. I thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot.
2: This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro, FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know, your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. Twenty one plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non withdrawable site credit that expires in fourteen days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred gambler. The Fall Line is a true crime podcast covering the coldest cases in the southeastern United States and occasionally beyond. We focus on the missing persons, the unsolved murders, and the unidentified does that don't get media attention empathetic and intensively researched the fall line will take you on deep dives into unsolved cases that you've never heard of and make you wonder why you haven't find us wherever you listen to podcasts
0: we got a very special guest with us up next uh, you guys know him. He's the longtime host of Intentional Talk with Kevin Millar and MLB Network. He's the current co- uh, current host of the Chris Rose rotation on John Boy Media. And frankly, this is someone whose work I've been enjoying for like 20 years. Uh, Chris Rose. Chris, thanks so much for coming on.
3: Oh, Tim, you're making me sound like an old man when you announce that, you know, that's, <laughs> that's supposed to be our little secret.
0: <laughs> hey man, I was, um, I was 18 in 2001. The best damn sports show period was a, a staple for me. Um, really? I mean, uh, I, honestly, uh, this is, that's something that's going back a long time that I've been enjoying what you do, man.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, best damn hasn't been on since the summer of Oh nine. And so here we are a dozen years later almost, and I still get asked about it. It, it, it seems like at least once a week. It's, it's crazy. And it was a ton of fun. I think it probably set the blueprint a little bit for where, where we are, whether it's you know linear television or even digitally, um, kind of where you could go. You didn't have to stay in a box. And our bosses told us basically one thing. Try anything. If we think you're going too far, we'll let you know and don't do it again. And we got a handful of those calls over the eight years we did the show. But for the most part, our bosses were like, just run with it, man. And uh, that's what we tried to do. And it was a ton of fun. And I have some great memories and great friendships from from best damn
0: Oh, my God. I just, you know. I, we could spend an hour going through all the all the highlights, but um, we have uh, other pressing matters, man. Listening to this, it is opening day. It's very exciting time. Uh, speaking of exciting times, you guys are sure having a lot of fun over at John Boy between you and Jimmy and Jake and Trevor Ploof. Uh, you guys seem to be having some sort of blast over there.
3: Yeah, well, listen, this is it's not the future. Of of baseball, it's the present. It's where we are. It's where fans want to consume, um, you know, opinions and have fun and all of that without being put in your lane, if you will. Uh, I loved working at MLB Network. Kevin and I had an amazing time. Uh, I think hopefully we opened some some eyes and ears for baseball fans on on that show by by kind of showing you that baseball players are more than just, hey, here's a slider you're facing on a 3-2 count, right? I mean, we want to get to know the people that are inside the uniform. And I've kind of carried that philosophy here with the Chris Rose rotation. I mean, there aren't a lot of shows out there where active athletes are regular contributors. These guys aren't guests, they're co-hosts. So every two and a half to three weeks, you're going to hear them again. So, um. It's going to be really fun now that they've started to travel about the country and they're going to different cities and different ballparks and fans are allowed back in the stadiums. So it's, you know, we deserve this as baseball fans in in 2021 after what the entire world was through in, in 2020.
0: Oh, for sure. And that goes down to, like, the, the the simplest level of just enjoying the game. But the lineup that you guys put together over at the Chris Rose rotation, I mean, you have the Mets, Trevor May, Stephen Brout from Pittsburgh, Tyler Glasnow, who very well may be the scarecrow from Batman from the... Chris Nolan, yeah. still to be determined. Archie Bradley from the Phillies, Miguel Rojas from the Marlins, and one of my favorite pitchers in the majors, Lucas Giolito from the White Sox. You guys have had guests come in and kind of echoing what you were saying, just the um, the insight, the uh, the, the real person ish level of, of of I guess. Uh, just insight that you're getting from players. And like you said, just the, I guess the, uh, the real aspect to it. And it goes deeper than just the ball game. I mean, some of the fun that you guys have had already and you're only, I think what, twice through the rotation and it's, uh, yeah, it's been very enjoyable.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah. I think that that's, that's the thing is that what social media has done over the last decade is obviously break down the barrier between everyday person and celebrity. Right. So, none of us will ever experience what it's like to be on a team charter at two in the morning, drag your ass into a hotel, you know, go from city to city during a three city, 10 day road trip. We're going to be living it with these guys. And that's going to be the fun part. Like I've got an interview coming up with Lucas Giolito, you know, 36 hours after he makes his first start of the year, he's going to be at a hotel room out in LA And, you know, we're going to find out what it's what it's like for him. You know, we're going to talk about, obviously, the game and everything else. But we're we're finding out who these dudes are, what makes them tick, their friendships that they have. Um, And, you know, we've already experienced it a little bit here with, you know, Stephen Brault. We had his old pirates and high school teammate Joe Musgrove on. And it's amazing because those guys have known each other for half their lives. Um, but Joe said something on the show and Steven was like, I didn't know that about you. I mean, they grew up and they were, they went to the same high school, you know, they were the number three and four hitters and the one and two pitchers on their gross high team in San Diego. And they're finding out stuff about one another on uh, on our podcast, which is pretty cool.
0: It is. And as something similar happened with Trevor May and Blake snow, who were both from Washington, well, quote unquote, the Seattle area, which we learned. Yes, exactly. From, much yes. greater than we actually know, but there was the a player I, wish I remembered who it was but uh, one of them had no idea he was from the area just you know little stuff like that that you know as a viewer just you know you find enjoyable and, you know some of these shows you have all right 15 20 minutes have had enough like I find myself like wanting more at the end of the episode it's really it's been a it's been a blast all the uh, all the best of luck to you guys moving forward but on onto, uh, onto the field a little bit. As of right now, we're recording. It's 3 p.m. in New York on on Wednesday. But uh, the Mets and Francisco Lindor are still at a a reported stalemate as far as extension talks. Uh, A lot of moving parts there. But, Chris, you're a noted Cleveland fan. Uh, You got a very good look at Lindor over the last few years. Is this a guy that the Mets should have concerns about, I guess, backing up the truck for him?
3: Well, uh, it depends. If you are – If you're into switch hitting shortstops that can hit you 30 homers, play gold glove defense, come to the stadium every day with the same attitude, lift up his teammates, be a leader in the clubhouse uh, while having an 830 to 850 OPS, I guess if you're not into that, then you can pass. But he is everything you want. He is the best baseball player I've seen put on a Cleveland Indians uniform. And that's saying something because I saw Manny Ramirez play. I saw Jim Tome play. I saw Albert bell play. I saw Roberto Alomar, who's actually one of the best players ever. And he had a, an amazing season or two with Cleveland, but he was still kind of at the back end of it. Um, so I've seen some pretty good players. Lindor's the best one I've seen encompassing everything. So, um, Here's my philosophy. Fans, and I've never understood this, Tim. Why do fans get angry when players ask for more money? Because you're not paying for it. You're, I guarantee you, Stephen Cone is not going to raise Mets ticket prices if he gives Francisco Lindor 12 for 385 as opposed to 10 for 325. That is not going to change your ticket price as a Mets fan. I've never understood it. People say, well, you know, if they increase the payroll, then they have to increase it. You know, it increases ticket prices when they increase payroll because they have better players and better players hopefully equates to more wins and more wins means there's more demand for people to go to the games. That's what increases it. So would you rather have crappier players and then your ticket prices are lower or would you rather have a team you can really get behind? and have a World Series contender and pay a little bit more for your ticket prices. You you could have that choice as long as you understand those are the choices. They don't raise ticket prices when you go 60 and 102.
0: Exactly. Oh, precisely. And this is something that the previous ownership group in New York or in Queens didn't, maybe they grasped it and just chose not to acknowledge it, but this is kind of the point that they missed. Like, oh, we're worried about uh, about money coming in and yeah, they had other stuff going on, but um, you know, if you put a winning ball club on the field, that's when you're packing out the stadium. That's when you're getting all that, all that extra kind of gravy money coming in and you know um, it, it appears the Mets have kind of gone that route this offseason. I mean, they made a lot of changes that they're, they're certainly taking big steps, but adding a guy like Lindor, who's, you know, even after over the last six weeks in camp, um, leadership that we all heard about about him coming in I mean it's already kind of been proven tenfold I mean he's outside the dugout in the middle of March you know greeting every single guy that comes in off the field in the middle of an inning like it's the little things and and yeah you know I don't blame him for one second for getting for making sure that he gets every every dollar that he's worth because he is worth it Um, you know hopefully as a fan from a fan's perspective it's from the Mets but uh, you know if not they had their chance. He might go out this season and uh, absolutely, you know, obliterate his market value and just send his value soaring. And, you know, thankfully Steve Cohen, if they're still interested, and if it gets that far, he could still kind of jump in and and get it done. But um, yeah, it just seems kind of counterproductive to the, to the culture you're building. This is the guy to build around and you already have the core in place. Uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. You have to kind of just, Find a middle ground, in my opinion.
3: And there's not that many more guys that you're going to want to build around on that team. I mean, you know, they've got some good players. I know Michael Conforto's in a walk year and he's a really, really good outfielder. He's not Francisco Lindor, he's just not. So sometimes you do have to make hard decisions, particularly when you're paying, you can't pay everybody $350 million. Um, But at the end of the day, if I were advising Francisco Lindor, if I were doing this for a living, I would say, listen, you know, we're probably going to have to meet in the middle somewhere, you know, if it's 345, whatever it is for 11 years or because with the group of shortstops that's available, plus the unpredictable baseball economic climate, particularly after this year, when the collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st. I would say, grab your money and go for it and feel confident that, that this is going to be your home, that you get off on the right foot with the fan base, that you, you want to be here. Now, here's the other thing that we don't know. He might not like it there. He hasn't played one game outside of the Cleveland Indians organization that's counted. So although we know that He's got a tremendous amount of swag and has that big city feel. You don't know what it's like until you, you do it. Yeah. Right. And if we're talking about Francisco Lindor making a decision for himself and his family for the next decade plus, boy, I wouldn't want to do that flying blind. And people could say, oh, well, you know what? If you're going to give me $325 million, I'll live anywhere in the country. Well, first of all, we're not talking about you. OK, we're talking about somebody whose skill set is is finite. There are only a few people walking this earth who have his skill set. So we're not talking about you or me. <laughs> so we can put that off to the side. The other thing is, we don't know what's import, most important in his life. We just don't. So it's up to him. God willing, he only gets one big crack at this. He wants to make sure that he gets it right. Right. And it's not always about just the dollars. Go ask Pablo Sandoval how happy he was in Boston. You know, how'd right. that work out for him? The guy was miserable up there. He, he missed San Francisco the minute he signed on the dotted line.
0: So it's not always about that. Oh, it's so refreshing to hear a uh, just a, a logical take after seeing the discourse from some Mets fans on Twitter all day on Wednesday over the past few yeah, days. But
3: don't listen to that. Hey, Tim. fans are fans and I get it. Like, uh, you know, I, I have the perspective of being a diehard Cleveland sports fan who has seen guys walk out the door. I watched Manny Ramirez leave a place where he was drafted and raised and helped turn an organization and an entire city around. I watched Jim Tomey do the same thing. Um, I've watched LeBron do it. You know, I've seen it happen. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's their lives. They're not there to make our lives as fans better. If that is if that's part of the deal, then great. If it works out for fans and the player, that's wonderful. But there's not one player who is playing for the fans, nor should they. They should never play for the fans
0: ever. Oh, 100 percent. You know, I, I don't go to work working for the uh you know for the clients uh, well you know i guess there's a certain aspect to it but no i get what you're saying and i wish i could find the right analogy to to, to agree with you but no 100 percent. and um you have to just hope i guess like we were saying they they uh they find that 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 happy medium that that compromise that can kind of get it done uh chris last thing um again noted indians fan uh Maybe expectations aren't so high this season. There is a nice little talented core in place. Do you have any expectations for this year for Cleveland?
3: Very few, unfortunately. (laughs) I mean, as I mentioned, we traded the best player in franchise history along with a cornerstone of their rotation in Carlos Carrasco. There's just too many questions with this squad. At best, they're a third-place team. They could slide to fourth depending on the the Royals, uh, how uh, quickly their pitching develops. Uh, I really like the Royals lineup a lot. I think they're going to be a fun watch. So I I would say that it's, here's the thing that wouldn't shock me if they also traded Jose Ramirez this year. It just wouldn't. Yeah, he's got one of the most affordable contracts for anybody who has signed a long-term agreement. He's got three years and another 34 million or so if all the options are picked up. 28 years old third baseman, good defender, switch hitter, serious pop. Doesn't look like he's fast, but he is. He runs the base as well, uh, brings good energy to a ball club. And the Indians could actually get a ton more for him that they, than they did for Francisco Lindor. And it might be something that they're going to have to consider if they feel by June that it's going a little sideways.
0: It's kind of like the guy they, uh, they gave up in Carlos Santana, letting him walk away. It's just a guy with with uh, consistently sneaky good stats and just kind of prop that club up. But to touch on the the return that the Indians got for Lindor, I really think that you guys are going to enjoy Andre Cimenez. I really think you're Mm going to enjoy Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Both have a little room for development still, but um, you know, it may be in a pressure free environment. they can really blossom. I, you know, I'm hoping for the best and watch out for Josh Wolf in a few years. He's going to be a a terrific, terrific arm. If he pans out.
3: Yeah. I mean, once again, it's if, right. I mean, he throws (laughs) gas. I know. Um, I'm okay with Jimenez. He's, he looks good. He looks the part. Um, Rosario, they're trying to turn him into a center fielder on the fly. That is not going to be easy. It's, it's a poor defensive outfield as is. He would have Eddie Rosario to one side of him and Josh Naylor most likely to another. It's not a good defensive outfield. If I were a pitcher on that staff, I'd be going, what the hell are we doing out here? And, um, you know, I, I'm not here to be the bitter Cleveland guy because I never had a problem with them trading Lindor. I knew they were never going to be able to afford him from the minute he got his first hit in the major leagues in Detroit and tripped over first base. I was like... <laughs> The clock's running, unfortunately, um, but they they got caught in the pandemic, if you will. They thought that they were going to try and make one more run in 2020 with this team, and if it wasn't going great, they were going to trade Lindor by the deadline. But because of the of the pandemic, they they couldn't afford to, you know, trade him after 30 games last year. That wasn't going to happen, so they ended up trading him for what they could get. And it's not an amazing return, or at least it doesn't appear to be. You have yeah. to let it play out, but it doesn't appear to be an amazing return.
0: Sure. That's kind of got to be the sentiment among Indian fans, right? Because, you know, you're getting question marks, like you said. We want to see the uh, the potential in everybody, but uh, no, nah, I, I get it, I guess. Real quick, can you just tell everyone how damn good Grady Sizemore was during his peak? For those who might not have been familiar, this was completely yeah.
3: Awful. No, this is good. That's that's a good one. He also had one of the greatest fan sections in baseball with Grady's ladies. They'd all show up <laughs> holding signs. and
2: I've never and, heard that before.
3: So when we were at the All-Star game, maybe in Houston, in 2006, I want to say, I saw Ozzy Guillen, who was managing the American League team, out to dinner. And I went over to him and was talking and you know, he, he obviously knew I was a big Indians fan and everything. And he goes, Grady Sizemore is the best player in our division. I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's the best player in our division. That guy could do anything. And Ozzie had obviously a bunch of players that were really good on his team. And Joe Maurer was around and Justin Morneau. So there were some, you know, pretty decent ball players in that division. He was like, Sizemore can do it all. He can run. He goes, maybe the one thing he doesn't do great is is – throw the ball but other than that man he can do it all and the problem with grady if i know this is going to sound weird he played too hard like cc sabathia told me one time he said grady stop running into walls man you don't have to like try and make a play on he's like that home run ended up 15 rows deep will you stop running into walls because i need you out there so just stop it and he just, he couldn't get away from his, his knee injuries and back, I think it was. And it was just kind of a shame because he was a really, really fun, fun player to watch. He was, you know, he had great speed. He could run down anything in the outfield. He had some good pop, good looking kid. He was just, he was, he was fun. It, it was just, it was too bad the injuries got to him.
0: Oh, just a tremendous player. And and the joy that came from watching my uncles curse and scream when he would beat up on the Yankees because he did so very consistently. Yes. And, yes. That made it all it made well, it we, worth it.
3: Well, we op- we opened up a uh, new Yankee Stadium in style in two thousand and nine with that pounding we gave you. So that was yeah. nice.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, I I'm one of the few Mets fans that don't hate the Yankees, but um, you know, it's the little things. <laughs> yeah,
3: it is a little things.
0: Chris, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and spending more time than we scheduled to, to take, um, everybody, you guys can find the Chris Rose rotation on YouTube, Apple podcasts. If YouTube isn't your thing, um, follow along on Twitter, check out what else is going on over at John boy. Uh, Chris, did I miss anything? I think you got it, Tim. Was no. Good. Good sales job. <laughs> yeah. I did that long enough in my life. I, I, that's where I got all this from. Um, Hey, I, Really, anytime throughout the season, I hope we can check back in with you and uh and good luck with everything that's going on, man. Thanks.
3: I appreciate it, Tim.
0: All right. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, guys, we'll we'll, we'll be back soon. <coughs> All right, guys, welcome back. We are here with uh, you know, a very good friend, needs no introduction, but we're gonna do it anyway. It's my buddy Jacob Resnick now with SNY. Jacob, it's uh it's a pleasure to have you back, my man
4: yeah it's a pleasure to be chatting with you again uh it's been a little bit since i've been on the podcast but uh exciting to uh to now be looking at opening day i guess uh, it'll be today when everyone's listening to it um but no better time to to hop back into it
0: yeah oh my goodness what a you know the feeling that comes along with today is just like you know unrivaled it's just uh you know, you wake up with a smile on your face. doesn't even matter what's going on. And, of course, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon, late afternoon. Um, still no closure on Lindor. So, uh, I guess, you know, we shall see on that front. But we kind of touched on that earlier in the episode. Uh, you know, that aside, things are, uh, are certainly looking up. Um, you know, the future for the 2021 team is, is one thing, and we'll kind of jump into that. But uh, I really kind of wanted to pick your brain about the – The Mets prospects that we saw, well, specifically the guys we saw on camp this spring and um, kind of where they fit into the plans moving forward. Uh, You know, this is a a system that doesn't really have the um, designation of being this deep star studded uh, farm system, but. You know, there's certainly gems that stand out, and we kind of saw a lot of that taking place in a lot of different areas. Whether it was Matthew Allen working with Jacob DeGrom, uh, you know, we saw you know a, really a lot to be excited about from Ronnie Mauricio. Brett Beatty had some really good at bats. Uh, Jacob, what were your takeaways from the uh, from the kids this spring? I think
4: primarily it was, I guess, the thing I was most impressed by was just how mature everyone really uh, showed that they are, um, you know, it's not something we're used to seeing all of these relatively inexperienced prospects with the major league team in spring training. Usually it's more guys who are either on the 40 man roster or pushing up to the upper minors, double AA, a triple a. And since the Mets really don't have any of those guys, the, the organization thought it would be best, you know, especially coming off last season, which, Wasn't a lost season, but for all intents and purposes, it was, Um, you know, the organization decided that the best thing to do was to get all these guys in major league camp and working with the coaches, uh, having Luis Luis Rojas talking to them on a daily basis, getting the major leaguers working with uh, the prospects. Uh, Like you said, Matt Allen and and Jacob DeGrom kind of, uh, you know, it was uh, Allen was kind of like DeGrom's shadow uh, walking around with him. Um, but I think, you know, all these guys are super young and they could have been, uh, I guess, deer in the headlights and, and really faltered under the pressure. But I, I don't think that that was the case with anyone. I think even, even the teenagers, Pico Armstrong, uh, Mark Vientos, um, you know, uh, Francisco Alvarez, all of these guys that are super young and have very little experience in professional baseball, if any, like Pico Armstrong hasn't played at all, um, you know, these guys were, were like big leaguers. They were, they were holding their own in the clubhouse. They were uh, performing well in the limited time that they were given. Uh, and, it was, and it was just exciting and kind of goes to show that these guys were uh, able to um, really not miss a beat after losing last season. Uh, even though some of them were at the, the alternate site, which uh, they'll get another uh, crack at this year. And some of them will be at minor league spring training, but really just impressed by everyone's maturity level um, and, and definitely exciting to, to see kind of where these guys are right now, um, you know, going into the minor league season that we'll hopefully be getting starting in May.
0: Right. And, and, you know, with a, like you said, with the lost season that was last year, especially for the minor leaguers, the experiences they must've gained in major league camp, just, you know, that had to, been um, invaluable and 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 certainly uh, wind in the sails going into minor league camp. I mean, you know, wherever these guys settle as far as um, minor league levels, you know, going from facing you know Jacob Degrom in Francisco Alvarez's case, he's hitting dingers off Jacob Degrom in live batting practice. Uh, you know, going to face maybe single A pitchers, um, he should be going into that with a head of steam.
4: Yeah, and uh, I think just in general, like there's, I guess, a, a longstanding, st- not stigma, but just a, a perception that the major leagues and the minor leagues are just completely separate. And, you know, what happens in, in the big league clubhouse does not concern the minor leaguers. And until they get the minor leaguers get to the major leagues, they're just completely separate from, from everything going on up there. And I think just to, to have these guys kind of integrated into the fabric uh, was just a really smart decision by the organization and just creating the, the continuity uh, I guess you could say between uh, all levels of the organization. And, and now these guys will kind of, you know, know what to expect when they walk into the big league clubhouse for the first time in, in the regular season. Um, and uh, you know, the, the experience only helps for sure. Uh,
0: I know a lot of, people were talking about what the Mets might do with Ronnie Mauricio moving forward. Now that it appears, well, (laughs) I guess that's even a a more glaring question as we record, but um, you know, let's say that Francisco Lindor is in the fold moving forward for the next decade or so. Um, Do you have any thoughts on what the Mets, I don't want to say should do with Mauricio because they have options, but uh, I don't know. How would you approach it?
4: I think just in general, not even specifically talking about the Mauricio Lindor situation is you want your players to be as versatile as possible. And, and that's obviously very clearly where major league baseball and, and just the sport is going, you know, you, you need athletic guys who are able to plug into a multitude of positions. And uh, you know, some of those guys just have that naturally and some of them need to develop it. And I think, Uh, We started to see it a little bit in spring training that the Mets are, are trying to make these guys, their, their blue chip prospects uh, you know, not pigeonhole them into one position. You know, it it doesn't really make sense to keep a guy like Ronnie Mauricio playing shortstop exclusively through the minor leagues where maybe his path to the majors is with third base open or with center field open in the future. Like, you you know, you don't know, it's going to be years down the line. Um, So just kind of getting these guys, comfortable with as many positions as possible is uh probably the the best path for them to take i mean we saw uh mark vientos playing some first base which he hadn't in the past Uh, we've heard about jalen palmer who wasn't in in big league camp but is a a highly regarded young prospect he's played mostly third base and shortstop but he's also seeing some time in the outfield and first base and, and second base as well so um in, in Mauricio's case, I think, you know, especially now him being much bigger than he has been in the past, like maybe his future is at third base, but we won't know that until way down the line. So just kind of get him comfortable at that spot right now, I think would be a good idea if he's kind of taking some fly balls in the outfield during minor league camp, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, in the end, he's probably going to play shortstop the most, you know, of any position going forward throughout the rest of his time in the minors, but um, definitely making these guys as versatile as possible so that, you know, when you, you run into a situation like the Mets did with Ahmed Rosario, where you'd like him to try center field, but he's never taken fly balls in the outfield. And you don't want to do that experiment during the regular season. Um, You know, if Rosario had
0: got, unless you're the Cleveland Indians.
4: Right. But, you know, the Indians are kind of in that position where it just kind of doesn't really matter. They can just try it out. But they were doing it in spring training. And that probably would have been a better course of action for the Mets to take. So I think, you know, getting these guys versatile as early as possible will, uh, I guess, make the decision easier if and when. And it might not. It might not be a decision they have to make. But uh, if they eventually have to move Mauricio off of first stop because of Lindor, uh, then you know, they'll have the ability to do that because of
0: what they've done throughout his time in the minors. Right, right. Like, if they open up these doors now and, um, you know, if Mauricio adapts to a new position, great. And that goes like you were saying. It goes for anyone on the on the roster, putting Beatty or Vientos at, at both infield corners and kind of seeing how they do. Uh, taking into account that the DH is probably going to be a part of the, you know, a part of the equation moving forward and, and kind of keeping that door open there. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it can never hurt to have options. And and I think, you know, kind of turning back to the 2021, that's, that's kind of, you know, that rings true across the board. Um, You know, the roster crunch that we've seen in the past or the roster crunches we've seen in the past have never kind of included the, uh, the level of capable roster depth and that, that includes, you know, the, 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 quote unquote 4A guys that includes the major league ready depth that might kind of be on the taxi squad but like um, let's take a guy like Jordan Yamamoto or or even David Peterson kind of fits into this conversation and tying that into the return of Carlos Carrasco and Noah Syndergaard down the line Um, I guess one my question would be how prevalent would the usage of this Taxi squad, whoever might be on it. Um, I guess with the proximity being so close to Syracuse, is that going to be a, a major component of kind of roster moves and, and roster approach this year, you think? Or, you know, are there going to be ongoing, you know, you're going to have to earn a spot and kind of, you know, I guess I, that's a loaded question. It's kind of tough to predict. But, um, yeah. you know, I guess – what do you foresee as far as roster interchangeability? Oh, that's a good one. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. No, I, I like that. I think um, you kind of break down the roster into two parts. You have, you have the core of your roster. You have the Lindor, Conforto, Alonso, Dom, McNeil, Nemo, DeGroms, you know, Stroman, Edwin <laughs> Diaz, all those guys, right. You have um, the heavy contributors and then you have the two or three spots at the end of your roster where you kind of are gonna need to do some uh you know interchanging uh bringing guys in and out, sending them down, bring them up um and I think the Mets did a really good job this off season of increasing that flexibility at the back of their roster um you look at it right now, you know when Carlos Carrasco comes back if he's you know on schedule, he should be back sometime in the middle of may hopefully um but when he comes back, they have options they can they can send. Joey Lucchese down. If that's what makes mo- the most sense, they could send David Peterson down if, if that's what makes the most sense. Um, so they have the options there uh, at the back of their bullpen. They have, uh, you know, Robert Conselman, who's, who's uh, you know, has the options to send down. I, I would love a little more flexibility in that bullpen. You know, perhaps if, if that means cutting Dylan Batanzas loose, if he's just not showing that he's still a capable major league reliever at some point, um, and then also on the bench with, uh, Albert Almora bringing him in, he has an option. Luis Giorme has an option. Uh, obviously you hope that these guys are key contributors, but you know, when you, when you need that flexibility, you can, you can bring guys up and down. Um, you know, the, the taxi squad is, is basically like a glorified triple A group in that it's obviously not a full roster, but it's, um, just being able to bring guys on the road with you so that you don't have to fly someone in given COVID and everything like that. Uh, you just have up to five guys with you at, at all times on the road that you can, you can activate someone uh, if you need last minute. Um, and I expect them to make, to make use of it. Um, if it, you know, they need an extra reliever or someone like that. Uh, and then of course they'll have the, the alternate site with pretty much an entire team of AAA quality guys that they can, they can bring up from from Brooklyn if they need, and then the minor league season will, will start in May. So, um, the the flexibility is is definitely there. I mean, compared to you know having guys like Jacob Ream and, and Chris Flexen in the past, where the the flexibility uh, just wasn't wasn't there uh, when you needed to to do some some changing on the roster. And then we saw last year like losing a guy like Jordan Humphreys uh, because you were kind of forced to DFA him uh, because that's just what the what the situation of the roster was, or even, you know, I talked about it, putting Andres Jimenez on the opening day roster was not an ideal situation. It obviously worked out uh, in, the, in the long run because he had a very solid rookie season, but had they had they had uh, deeper infield depth on the 40-man roster that, that wouldn't have been necessary. So um, definitely definitely think they've put themselves in a, in a much better position coming into the season.
0: Oh, no doubt. Oh, I mean <laughs> dude, when, when, I mean, uh, I completely had forgotten that Albert Almora had options, but um, you know, when you look at years past and you you think about now, they have the ability to kind of use a, you know, and that's a quality major league player and it's an average major league player, but it's a, it's a quality player. When you have the ability or, or the depth to, to, to kind of shuffle that level of player back and forth between your taxi squad or triple A or whoever it all works out. That's um. It really speaks to the, I guess, the work that's been done in such a short amount of time to shore up the deficiencies. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, very nice to see. We got some, I guess, disconcerting news regarding the nationals roster on, uh, Wednesday afternoon GM Mike Rizzo confirmed there were five, um, I guess roster members who are, uh, considered close exposures or, or in uh COVID protocol. Uh, however, MLB quotes that now um, you have to imagine that taxi squad situation is going to come even more into play with stuff like this still happening. You also have to hope that uh, between vaccinations and, and herd immunity kind of making its way through each clubhouse um, this will also be short lived, but you know, it, it even reflects more back onto the flexibility or the, the versatility, I should say that's been built and, uh, kind of preparing themselves for, for any worst case scenario, whether it's injuries, whether it's a COVID thing, whether it's, you know, whatever, uh, yeah, it's certainly nice. Um, I wanted to ask you about Khalil Lee. I know he he spent a little bit of time in major league camp, Bruce Maxwell too, but probably to a more extent, Lee, these are, I guess, examples of higher, uh, of of, you know. Again, this is more pertaining to Lee, but like I guess, quality depth at the at the minor league level or at the higher minor league level. If the Mets really, uh, it hasn't been a hallmark in recent years. Um, I guess one, I'm not sure if he showed much in camp, but is this a guy who could serve as major league depth? you know, out of the gate if necessary. And I know that they have guys like Pilar and Al Mora, but uh, you know, is, is is Lee that type of guy who can be an impact maker and, you know, how much seasoning does he need before he can show up and, and, and really make a, uh, make a dent in the, uh, in the depth chart.
4: Yeah. I, I don't really see it being a uh, immediate, thing of, of lee providing depth i mean he, he did not look good in spring training to just put it bluntly yeah it's uh, had six 69 at-bats no hits nine strikeouts um he, he looked like a guy who you know hasn't played a a season in in quite a while like many minor leaguers did and um you know his, his profile is is more conducive to kind of uh he's not really a power or strikeout guy he's, he's more of like a uh, you know, big swing and miss risk. Um, but his, his upside is, you know, like a lot of doubles, like he's not, he's not going to be a guy that comes up and, and is, you know, a, a 30 home run guy over a full season um, speed and, and defense is those, those are his big two tools. And then um, obviously you hope the bat comes around to the point where, where he could be a, uh, you know, an everyday major leaguer, but um, you know, his, his, uh, peak of, of experience is, is in double a, uh, he stole a lot of bases there, but, um, the, uh, you know, the, the strikeout numbers were, were tough. He was, you know, pushing, pushing a, a 30% strikeout rate. Um, and you know, power, power numbers were, were down from where they had been over, uh, you know, some lower levels in his minor league career. So, um, he's definitely depth in terms of making the prospect pool in the organization deeper, uh, in terms of, you know, going to be able to contribute at the major league level this summer. Um, I, I don't think he, he's that close, um, but definitely, you know, given the, the lack of, you know, up, one upper minors prospects and two outfield prospects in general in the organization, I think, you know, bringing him in uh, in, in the way that they did kind of a, a low cost acquisition, um, you know, definitely interesting to see how he, how he's able to progress over this coming summer.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cause again, that's a, um, it, it was an intriguing pickup and it, it, uh, it did fit a, um, fit fill a gap in the, uh, in the system. And, and that's always a great thing. And if, if, you know, if the upside is what it's supposed to be, or if it, if it's, if it comes to fruition, like even better, great. But, um, I also wanted to ask about Bruce Maxwell who absolutely walloped a few balls this spring. Um, I know just a couple of times you saw him in uh, late coming in late in games and, you know, they even could have been out, but boy, when he makes contact, that is something else. Uh, how does he fit into this? He, is he strictly just a catcher? I mean, he was playing some first base in uh, both uh, when,
4: when he was in the, in the Mexican league uh, before signing with the Mets. And then uh, this spring as well, he was, he was playing some first base. So you know, that's probably the extent of his versatility. Um mm-hmm you know, he's not, he's not a quite, quite a a young guy. He's, he's over 30 now. So um, I think ideally he's, he's a depth guy who can maybe, you know, fill in as a backup catcher. Um, But he'll, uh, he'll be at the alternate site and then, uh, then at Syracuse. And like you said, he he was putting up some pretty impressive exit velocities and in spring training. And, um, you know, he's kind of a guy that's been forgotten about a little bit, you know, since his, his major league time, obviously there've been some off the field concerns as well, but, um, definitely, uh, you know, a a guy that that's going to give you solid depth, especially for the, the catching position without, um, you know, in, in between (laughs) from, from James McCann and Tomas Nito all the way down to Francisco, Alvarez, the, the in between is, is definitely something that that needs, uh, you know, a bridge and, and, you know, maybe Maxwell or, or Caleb Joseph or whoever is that guy
0: yeah no, and it's you know, I guess like we, like we were saying, it kind of speaks to the lack of of that deep, deep depth at the upper levels of the of the minor leagues, but um yeah, you know the future is bright enough where you gotta hope and of course the the major league roster is deep enough at this point that you gotta hope that uh, that gap you were talking about is gonna be bridged uh jacob what are your what are your thoughts on the uh, on the upcoming season that kicks off this evening? I I, I'm super excited just to have baseball
4: back, Uh, you know, games that count, obviously spring training is the, the, uh, the perpetual tease, I guess is is how I put it Um, because it's baseball, but it doesn't count for anything. So to have these games back, it's going to be exciting. And um, you know, it's going to be super exciting to have fans back in the stands. Obviously uh, the Mets are a team that feeds off their fans uh, at an extreme level. So to, to get at least some, some level of fans back uh, in the stadium is going to be huge, and um, w- will be nice again to have a, a full 162 rather than the uh, the weird 60 game season from from last summer. But uh, yeah, super exciting, and you know everyone starts 0 and 0, so
0: uh, <laughs> a blank canvas coming up. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know. You know me, I'm, I'm always, you know, way, you could probably see my hand if you think about it. I'm, I'm always way up here as far as expectations, but like to actually have them justified, I'm almost keeping my mouth shut now. <laughs> it's like, all right, let's, let's just take this step by step. Um, you know, I'm recording this, like I said, like five o'clock on Wednesday. I do still think Lindor is going to be signed. I do think that's all going to work itself out. Of course, that's just the optimist in me talking. But uh, as far as on the field, um yeah, this group is primed for success. There's going to be, you know, weak spots as any roster has, but um, they've really done a great job of limiting those those vulnerabilities. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm certainly excited. you going to be uh, in 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 Brooklyn at all once uh, once that all kicks off.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what the uh, the uh, regulations and, and restrictions will be, especially for the minor leagues. Are going to be much tighter than. All right. in the majors so uh fingers crossed that i'll be able to get back out there um but just having anything to cover at at any uh you know any any level of being able to cover something will be uh exciting for me so looking forward to it
0: we gotta get you a fake mustache and a fake id and get you a match for <laughs> sure yeah he's 30 don't worry about it he's 31 actually <laughs> if you want to be specific about it geez all right man uh you know where everybody uh can find uh geez everybody knows where they can find you on Twitter, but would you just go ahead and, uh, and uh, fill them in on that again?
4: Yeah. At, at Jacob underscore Resnick, R-E-S-N-I-C-K. Um, looking forward to chatting it up with everyone uh, this summer and hopefully, uh, you know, I'll be putting out a lot of work over at SMY um, this coming year as well. So uh, yeah. Thanks. Uh,
0: thanks again for having me on, Tim. Always, a, always a pleasure. Oh, dude, dude, it- Slice of heaven every time, and uh, can't wait to do it again. We'll do it soon, everybody. You know where to find us. Happy opening day! Enjoy it, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you on Monday morning. Let's go, Mets.